Welcome everybody. Welcome to Elmira Baptist Church Sunday School. Glad to see all of you. <laughs> and you should have a handout, which is orange. It's uh, on the chair back there, just to the left as you walk in and to the right as you exit. Glad to see everybody. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing from the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for being with us. We know that your word does not return to you void. We pray that you would bless all the families represented here this morning and those that are watching uh, live stream or watching it recorded. Thank you, Father, for each one represented. Pray that you would bless this day and our uh, banquet uh, this afternoon and our service to follow, that you would be with us. Help us as we look at this subject, Father. Uh, as we look at the ministry of Paul and what all was involved in him teaching the gospel and the word of God. Thank you for being with us and helping us understand your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So grab an orange handout if you're okay. So should have a handout. We've been looking at four aspects of Paul's ministry in relationship to Colossians. Now um We've been looking at, last week we looked at his suffering, A, and B. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at his commission to preach. And then later, we'll be looking at his concern and challenge. This is the last time I'm going to teach Sunday school this year. Uh, next week will be John Nordstrom. And then I get a break, and somebody else will be teaching uh, until January sometime. So I'll be back next year. We'll just take up where we left off. So um, listen carefully. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do a review when we come back. So we're looking at Paul's commission to preach. And I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse... Grab a hand out there, Miss, Miss Almonds. Grab a hand out there. Right over there. There you go. So I'm going to be reading uh, Colossians 1. If you want to turn there and keep your Bibles open to Colossians 1, 19 through... Uh, 29. For it hath pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated, uh, sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ, and my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, whereof I am made a minister, according to, the, I read that, verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. 
<clears throat> excuse me, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And 29 is the end of the first chapter. I wanted to finish that, but I don't think we could quite do that in the time that we have today. So we'll get to the first part of 28A. We'll get the first part of 28 or 28A. So in review, on your handout, suffering, A, under introduction, suffering. Paul, in the previous verses, proclaimed Christ's unique supremacy, his sovereignty, his superiority. And also his sufficiency, which is not written there. Uh, in other words, he preached his preeminence. He concluded in verse 23, uh, he, he concluded, that is, he ended that section with a reference to the spread of the gospel to the world with the statement that he was made a minister of the gospel. In verse 24, he states his sufferings are part of that ministry, which is what we talked about last week. All sufferings were... Uh, reflected three principles, uh, three aspects. He suffered for others. His sufferings are identified with the afflictions of Christ, and his sufferings were with rejoicing. So others identified with Christ and rejoicing. Now this is new. His commission to preach in verses 25 through 29. The second aspect, if you look up, see commission to preach in B, if you look up to the introduction under B, 1B, or, or Roman number 1B, Commission to preach, verse 25 through 29. Now that's the end of the chapter. We won't get that far, but that's where we are in the outline. That outline, suffering commission to preach, concern, challenge, covers from 124, verse chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So we'll get down to almost the end of commission to preach. So his commission to preach uh, has four features. Paul's appointment in verse 25, his message in 25b to 28a, we're going to cover one and two today. And then we'll have his method and his aim in 28B and his aim next time in January. So Paul's appointment, verse 25. Paul's appointment was shown in verse 25A, which says, uh, whereof I am made a minister. So I have of which, but in the King James it's whereof. And it means which, of which so the church is what he's referring to at the end of verse 24. Uh, fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church whereof I am made a minister, for which I am made a minister, of which I am made a minister. So he's a minister of the church. He's, and uh, he also, also states that he's a minister of other things, and I've listed what those diamond four dots there, uh, and one is he's a minister of the gospel in, in verse 23, which we just read. I'm made a minister, um, and where have I made a minister? So he's a minister of the gospel, and then uh, verse, chapter 3, verse Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7 says he's a minister of the gospel also. He says 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So he's made a minister of the gospel in Ephesians 3, 6, and 7. He's also a minister of God. Uh, and 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 4 says, But in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, afflictions, and necessities, and distresses. So he's also a ministry of God. Now he's a minister of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11. I'd like you to take... Uh, Put a piece of paper or your finger in uh, Colossians 1 and jump over to 2 Corinthians 11, 23. I'm going to take a second since we're right here, and I want you to look at all of the things that happened to him. This is Paul's resume of suffering. That's my words, not his. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 22. Are they... Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Now, here he's talking about false teachers. What's happened here is some false teachers have compared themselves to Paul. And some Corinthians uh, were comparing Paul with the false teachers. And he's answering uh, fools according to their folly kind of a reference from Proverbs, uh, and he knows that if they reject him, they're going to reject the gospel. So Paul says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, are they ministers of Christ? Turn to 2 Corinthians 11 so you can kind of follow this. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool, and that's where I, he's using a lot of sarcasm here. Uh, he doesn't want to boast, but he knows he needs to provide the credentials that he has in order that they recognize that he is the true apostle. And he said, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in depths often, of Jews, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Now the reason they only did 39 stripes is because their rules were uh, that if you did 40, you might kill them. So you can't do that. So you can only do 39. Oh, that's nice. A lot. It, it, it was a, one of the most horrible things because they put things that I know you've heard in the, in the, in the uh, leather or the thongs that they used to actually rip uh, the, the uh, skin off people. So he had 195 stripes, five times 39. And thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. So out in the sea adrift for a night and a day. In journeyings often, in perils of, or that's danger, perils of rivers and waters, perils of robbers, bandits, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the heathen, speaking of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils of false brethren. That's those brothers that pretended to be brethren, but they were there to capture and, and kill him. Verse 27, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, unable to sleep, so they just remained watching, in hunger and thirst, driven to fast often for lack of food, 
and cold and nakedness, without, without adequate clothing. Verse 28, beside those things that without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Think about somebody, you know, one pastor has enough. Can you think about somebody that was over all the pastors of the of the New Te many of the New Testament churches that he had established and some that he hadn't? Um, amazing to just have that prayer and concern. When he says, I pray every day for the churches, he meant it and he did it. That, that weight of burden on him from caring for all these churches, he said, who is weak and I'm not weak? He's saying, I feel for all of these sufferings that others are having. Who's offended and I burn not? He's on fire with sorrow and concern and grief for the churches that were about to go into error or those that were sick or those that had needs. Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept or guarded the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend or arrest me. I wanted to kill him. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hand. So I'm going to give you the summary of that. Here's the summary. Labor's more abundant. Stripes beyond above measure. Beatings so many times that he really without number. Uh, prisons more frequent. So far more for more imprisonments. Uh, often in danger of death. Five beatings for 195 stripes in verse 24 and 25, he was three times beaten with rods, which is a specialty. The rods inflict a great deal of pain the way they, they do it and the way they used it. They used multiple rods and many times and they would just beat somebody half to death. Uh, he was stoned one time. Most people don't live after being stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Three, not once, not twice, but three times he was shipwrecked and he was alive in the deep, uh, uh, survived in the deep or the, it was a drift three for three or two days a day and a night and verse 26 on journeyings he was exposed to dangers and rivers and bandits and countrymen and gentiles in the city and the wilderness and the sea and false believers in verse 27 um, he had uh, labor and hardship unable to sleep hunger and thirst, fasting from lack of food, cold and exposure, lack of clothes. And then continuing on to verse 28, if that wasn't enough, the burden of caring, spiritual burden of caring for the churches. And verse 32, the, in Damascus, the king Aretas tried, was sought him out personally in the whole city, door to door. But he was let down out of the wall in a basket and was saved. That's a lot of pressure on one individual. It's a wonder that he lived as long as he did. It's incredible. So I wanted to read that because I wanted to impress upon us his credentials. When he said he suffered, Paul suffered. And he was a minister. He suffered to be a minister of the church or the gospel of God and Christ and the minister of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, 
and says that not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us, when he says made us, he's talking about me, able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So he's a minister of the New Covenant, the New Testament of grace, the New Covenant of grace. So as a minister of the church, last paragraph, bottom of page one, as a minister of church, he's to suffer and serve in a manner necessary for the welfare and needs or requirements of the church and the gospel as the Lord dictates, as the Lord directs. Suffering and service for Christ, the church, become a duty. That's his duty. And a responsibility, in addition to the joy he mentioned previously in verse 24, now, I want to make the point that we also have a duty and a responsibility to serve and even suffer. Now, we don't suffer as apostles, but we suffer as servants of God and heirs. The famous verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that scripture goes on to talk about our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. It says that many of us are given gifts. Well, verse 5, so we being many are one in Christ. We being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. And then verse 6, the having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on ministering, for he that teacheth on teaching. So each one has a ministry, and it's our responsibility and duty to serve and even suffer. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, again, all those people in Hebrews 11, that hall of fame of faith, uh, whereof, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily beset us, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here, here's the example we are to imitate. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's, that's the example. And what did he do? His duty was to go to the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He suffered. We may suffer as a result of being his, of being Christians. Despising, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down on the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. Uh, and I want to. I have other verses listed. I want to skip to the last one in the interest of time. First Peter four twelve through fourteen. But think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you. Because <laughs> first thing we think a bad thing happens, we go, Whoa! What happened? What, what's this happening to me for? But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So Scripture says. Peter says that we are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, we may be glad also with exceeding joy. 
you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, evil is spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So we are also, like Paul, while we're not apostles, we're to have, we have a duty and a responsibility to serve and occasionally suffer. Okay, look at the top of page two of your handout. We have some words in verse 25 we want to look at. I, uh, which is from whereof I am made a minister, that is expressed separately from the Greek. Normally the pronoun is uh, included in the, in, uh, the ending of the Greek word, but when it's separate, it emphasizes it. And that, that provides a sense that this ministry is Paul's and its unique, unique ministry to Paul from God. And the second bullet, am made, means became, or I have been appointed. Pointed out, it, pointing out that Paul took the position due to the Lord's calling and commissioning, not due to him assuming something that wasn't given to him. So it is God's calling. It's his commission. It's not Paul's assumption of some ministry that he put together and made up. And minister means one who serves, and it's the same one used for in verse 7 for Epaphras as a minister, and also the same word that's used in verse 23. He's made a minister. Okay, so the fourth bullet, according to the dispensation of God, now this means Paul's appointment and his calling and his commissioning to his office was on the terms of, so according to, on the terms of, stewardship, an arrangement and plan of God. So the Greek word dispensation is related to our word for economy. So, and it's often translated stewardship. Uh, Luke 16, 2 is the parable of the unjust steward. If you remember, uh, there was a certain rich man, and he had a steward, uh, Luke 16, 2, or verse 1, rather. And the steward was accused of having wasted the master's goods. So you remember he went out, and he collected money that he had loaned, and he got a portion of it back, and then the master praised him for having do that. And... and this word, dispensation, is stewardship. And it, Paul was a steward of the gospel and a steward into his ministry. Um, this indicates that Paul viewed his work to God, uh, to which God had appointed Paul. And note this, it's written down in the middle of that fourth bullet paragraph. This indicates Paul viewed his work to which God had appointed Paul as a sacred trust and special privilege requiring the utmost accountability, responsibility, and dedication to God. Now, I want to stop there and I want to do an application. Okay, When I worked, when I worked in, the, in the military for the government, we had a saying, you know, this was the minimum, right? This was a minimum standard. And a lot of times, if you didn't make a perfect score or something, you made, you, but you passed. We had a saying, if the minimum wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be the minimum, right? <laughs> That's kind of sarcastic, 
but it made you feel better if you did badly, right? Well, I have three questions. You know, we were just happy we passed. We didn't want necessarily strive for excellence or we would have committed ourselves wholly, but there were so many squares to fill that you were busy doing a thousand different things. So the first question is, do we regard what God, this is not in a handout, these are separate questions. Do, do, you, do we regard what God gives us to do as a sacred trust and a special privilege, no matter how small or big it is? Sometimes somebody gives us something to do and we say, okay, and then we just do it halfway and we just get by and we just say, oh, well, that's good enough. It'll work. But is that looking at it as a sacred trust and a special privilege in ministry and serving the Lord? Number two, do we carry out what we've been given to do with responsibility and dedication and great concern? Are we really doing our best? You know, there's a song, Give Up Your Best to the Master. He certainly gave all for us. And sometimes I think we do less. I know I have. Number three, are we not the Lord's stewards also? You know, if the Lord came to us, would he call us an unjust steward by the way we've handled what God has given us to do? He's given us gifts. I read that passage earlier. He's given us gifts. Are we using those gifts? Are we laying back in the weeds and just hiding? It's hard to hide in a small church, but you can do it. <laughs> are you hiding from the Lord and from ministry? Um, and are we faithful with what he's given us? Verse 10 in Luke 16, the Lord says afterward, he said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Are we faithful in the little things? Because if we take care of the little things, generally we'll be faithful in the big things. That's um, a question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, okay, so. This I is Guillermo we, asking a question. Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't agree to hear your opinion. Yeah. Um, well, not your opinion, but I'm in biblical speaking. <laughs> so, Paul here was an apostle, right? And I and I, um, I think a lot of this, is, I might be wrong, uh, refers to those that are called to ministry. Yeah, the that, that's the context. Right, but what is the, from your perspective, what would be, like for us, right, we're not missionaries, we're not, what would be some of the things you think that we... What, what has the Lord commanded us to do? Evangelize? Love one another? Serve one another? You know, when somebody asks us to serve in church, do we just do it halfway? Okay. Or do we hide and escape and evade and keep from doing things? Do we? I mean, I mean, you know, let's be frank. Do, do we run from serving the Lord? We say, I hope he doesn't point me out. I don't want to do that, you know. So, are we lazy? Are are we are we going through our Christianity with the same commitment? I know we don't have the same level of responsibility, but we should have the same commitment that Paul did. We should have. We should be. We should have recognize that what we've been given to do, even if it's a small thing, is a sacred trust and a special privilege. You know, I think about the. Um, a little servant girl that was uh, Naaman's wife's 
made that had come out of Israel. And when Naaman came down with leprosy, she said, oh, that's a shame because if he knew the Lord's servant, that he could heal him. Yeah. Uh, and so he went to see, he went to see, was it Elisha? He went to see Elisha and Elisha told him to go wash in the, the, uh, uh, the uh, river. And you know, he didn't want to do that. That was a little thing. Now he wasn't a servant, but, but, the, but the servant girl, the maid, she just said one little word and pointed him to the to the prophet that could heal him. Do we are we faithful in the little things? Are we faithful in our ministry that God has given us? God's given your deacon, God's given you a ministry, and I'm a worker bee. God's given me a ministry. He's given me a ministry to teach. Am I faithful? Do I am I committed? Some people say, Scotty, why do you spend so much time on this? Because I have a responsibility to share what I find with you. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want the Lord to say when I meet him and say, why did you shortchange your study and not teach people what they needed to know? I committed that responsibility to you. So whatever we have, even if we are in the just sitting in the pew and doing uh, coming, are we faithful to be here and serve him when we can? Are we are we telling people that we're praying for them? Are we loving them? Are we, you know, all of those one another's, all of that service to each other. Are we doing those things? Are we living? Are we trying to be like Christ? Are we? Do we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit like we guys were talking about in the, the Wednesday night? Are we reading our Bible daily? Are we spending some time with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we faithful to pray? We may not be sick, but we have so many people in this church who are struggling with illnesses. Are we... Are we encouraging them? Are we helping others? Are we serving others? And I see those things. Yeah, those good. Is that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm zealous about that, not because you asked a ask question, but we need to be doing those things. And I, it, just, it just struck me when I read that. He took that, when I read that Paul took that as a sacred trust, a really special privilege and was accountable, recognized the accountability and responsibility and the dedication to God. We have little things to do. Should we not be just as faithful as Paul? There's one point where he said, you imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Okay. So, no, no, no. That was a great question. Uh, so, moving back to the original thing for Paul, uh, uh, Paul Paul was commissioned by God, and he was a, uh, a, uh, a minister of the church, but Paul was, a, was accountable to God. That's the principle, and we're accountable to God. You know, if somebody asks us to do something and we do a halfway job, are, are we, if we're serving others, who are we really serving? If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. We're serving the Lord. So... If we do a halfway job or if we kind of slough stuff, uh, you know, we're really sloughing the Lord. And McLaren said, uh, Paul's accountable to God. McLaren, I put a quote, Alexander McLaren said, he is the church's servant indeed, but it's because he's the Lord's steward. So the Lord and his stewardship gave him the ministry to the church. We are God's stewards also. So how faithful are we? And I know I have a long way to go. And uh, Okay, 
So uh, the, la uh, the fifth bullet there for you, the stewardship of Paul's ministry for the benefit of the Colossians and the Gentile Christians. Then fulfill the word of God. Here's three ideas to be considered. Um, so you're, this is be the theologian time, okay? <laughs> okay, that's what I call, I want you to think, okay? So when he says that he is, in verse 25, I made a minister uh, according to the dispensation or economy of God or stewardship of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, verse 25, chapter 1, okay? So he's to fulfill the word of God. Uh, that three ideas, give full scope to, it refers to the spread of the gospel <coughs> geographically to the nations. Romans 15, 19 tells us, and that, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Uh, so here is he talking about fulfilling the word of God by spreading it geographically to the Gentiles, or that could be one, two, or three, none of the above, or all of the above, or two, one and three, or two and three. Make fully effective to bring in all those for whom the word of God is intended. Number three, in all its fullness, refers to Paul's special ministry to make clear the true nature of the gospel, proclaiming it as God's provision for all men. Not just, God's people are not just Israel anymore. All, anyone who accepts Christ. So you be the theologian. Give full scope to, make fully effective, or in, it, in all its fullness. Now, this, is, this would be your opinions. And so um, I want to um, look at a quote from MacArthur. Listen for these things, one, two, and three. One's give full scope to, make fully effective in, in all its fullness. So preaching it to the nations, bring in all those to whom the word of God is intended and in all its fullness, that makes make sure the true nature of the gospel is known. So in one of his sermons, MacArthur said, quote, God has spoken to me, Paul said, and God has told me what to do. It's my responsibility to do it. To fulfill the word of God. He paraphrased verse 25. What does this mean? Well, it means to fulfill the word of God to me and my call. <clears throat> it means to preach the word of God or the word of the gospel. It means to teach the whole counsel of God. Well, the whole counsel of God would probably be number three. Make, make, claiming the provision for all men. It means to fulfill it. To do what God wants me to do by proclaiming his truth, that's to fulfill the word of God. And um, I think when he said, fulfill it in the word of God in my call at the very beginning, it means preach the gospel. I think that's one. So give full scope to one and all its fullness three. Then he says, the scope of my ministry is simple. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do, Paul said. I'm just going to obey him. I'm going, this is again MacArthur in, his, in a message he gave. I'm just going to obey him. I'm just going to proclaim his word to the unsaved. Well, that's number two, because who, to make it effective, bring it to those that, for whom it's intended. I'm going to teach the word to the believers only in the way he wants me to, only in the place he wants me to do it. 
Paul knew what his calling was because God had said to him, you shall go to the Gentiles and be my apostle to the Gentiles. And God designed where he was, uh, God designed, excuse me, where he was to go, and he went there, and he obeyed God, and when he died, he said, I can tell you right now, I have fulfilled my ministry, I finished my course. So the great desire of Paul, the man of God, the great desire of the servant of God, is the great desire of anybody in ministry to fulfill God's will by proclaiming God's word in the place of God's call, that is, doing God's call. And Paul wouldn't let anything stop him, absolutely nothing would stop the Apostle Paul from doing what he knew God wanted him to do. And that's the scope of the ministry, fulfill it. Do, do a half-baked job, don't do a three-quarter job, don't slough it off, don't do the whole job in, place, uh, in the place that God has called you to do it. And that, my people, takes tremendous commitment to do it. Because I think most of us say, well, that ought to be good enough. And is it? Is that good enough? I mean, we're doing it for the Lord, and sometimes we forget that. Anyway, uh, what do you think, Gilgarma? One, two, or three? Two, one and two, <laughs> two and three, one, well, two, three. It's kind of like you said, you know, it's the whole truth. And uh, whatever God gave you, Pastor, Pastor Dean was called here. So he has a duty to preach the whole counsel of God to us. The truth yeah. in this, and, But in the context of that's true, you know, all those are true. But when he says fulfill the word of God and he's saying, what did God tell him to do? Give full scope to Go to geographically. What did he mean specifically in this area? Because all those things are true. Yes. He's making you think, and I like that. Thank you. Sonny. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm yeah. trying to. You're the theologian. What does this mean in this passage? He just wants to come and ask questions. He doesn't want to actually think about it. That's why I asked you. What are the three options? Right there in your handout. Everyone, turn to page two in your handout. If you want a handout at home, uh, call Cindy at the office. To me, it's all three. Exactly. Yes, that's what I think too. Amen. That's good. No, isn't that? But that's good, isn't it? Because we thought through that. You had to think through that. What does that mean? What does fulfill the word of God? Thanks for. Oh, thank you for asking the question. So, give full scope to. I think it's all of them. Because I looked at that. So, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, it's all of these. I think all of those are here. So, okay. Um, let's look at Paul's message. We, um, we are on our little outline at the beginning. We looked at Paul's appointment, and now we're in Paul's message. What is this message? Well, various phrases. This is number two, bottom of page two. Follow along, because this will be, it'll be a lot easier if you follow along. Paul's message. Various phrases are used in these verses to identify what Paul's message was. The first one is the word of God in verse 25b. To fulfill the word of God. Okay. So this term sums up the oral proclamation of the apostles and is often used as a synonym for the gospel. And we're going to not look at those verses in the interest of time, uh, but they're there for you to look at because all of those refer to the word of God. Now, B, the word of God is, this is another term, this is the second term that's used. The word of God is revealed as a mystery in verses 26 and 27. I never liked that term, but you know, this is God's word, not Scotty's word. Mm -hmm. So, because when I hear mystery, I think of mystery, a whodunit, or something I can't figure out, or I don't know, and I have to think about it, or I have to try to find it out. But 
Christ spoke of mysteries in Matthew 13 and Luke 8 and uh, 8 10. I'm not going to, in the interest of time, I'm not going there, but you can go there for reference. Mystery, the word mystery was used by and may have been borrowed from the relig religious language of the day. And it comes from the Greek and it means to initiate into the mysteries. And it means to learn a secret. Learn a secret. And that which is known by the initiated. So basically, Paul took a word misused by false religion and he used it to express great truths from God. And in the New Testament, it's used of a truth made known only by divine revelation. And it's made known in a manner and a time appointed by God to those only who are illumined, that is, the illumination of the Holy Spirit who reveals the word of God to us, who, who, only to those who are illumined by the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, it refers to something that once was a secret, but now is revealed in the gospel and God's word. It's used four times in Colossians. I'm at the bottom of page two, and I'm at the very last sentence. And it's used four times, Colossians 126 and 127, chapter two, verse two, and chapter four, verse three. Now, one of the tools that you can use to help you be a theologian, <laughs> using that term uh, humorously that I've used, is Vines. Vines has an expository dictionary of the words you can look up those words in English and they can actually give you the definitions and where it's used and what that meaning is. So looking up mystery, it told me that it was a noun here and it was spelled M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. And it's pronounced Mustarion. Okay? That's and he says it, it's primarily that which is known to the initiated. It means uh, it's from a, the verb, which means to initiate into the mysteries. And that's how it was used in their culture back then. And it's also translated elsewhere, I have learned the secret. Uh, in, the New, in Philippians 4.12, it says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. That am instructed is the word learn the secret. It's mystery. Learn the secret. Okay. Uh, now, so in the New Testament, it means not the mysterious as with the English word, the way we use it, but it means that which being outside the range of unassisted God natural apprehension it means it can be understood only by divine revelation which is made known in a manner and a time appointed to God and only to those who are illumined by the Holy Spirit in the ordinary sense and this is what I really like here's the comparison in the ordinary sense secularly a mystery implies knowledge withheld in scripture, the significance is truth revealed. I really like that. So 
the terms associated as a result of that, truth revealed, the terms you hear associated with that subject are made known, manifested, revealed, preached, understood, uh, and uh, dispensation. So the definition above may be best illustrated by our passage. We read, he says, Colossians 1.27, the mystery which have been hid from all ages and generations, but now it hath been manifested to his saints. Colossians 1.26. So let's look at the top of page three here. So there are two characteristics of um, the mystery in verse 26. It hath been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Mysteries were hidden, but now are known in the Bible. This knowledge was not known in generations and ages past, but now it's revealed to believers, his saints. The knowledge was, quote, covered up from the people of former ages and generations, but now it's made manifest, and that means shown openly, disclosed, revealed. Now, for those of you who don't like Greek grammar, that's okay. It's all right. Just, just listen to the impact. The way the sentence is written, and they, they tell me, and that's why I use uh, people that study the Greek all their life, it shifts from a sudden, it, it suddenly shifts from a participle, hath been hid, represents the translation of that, to an indicative verb, a strong verb that indicates something happened. And that's unusual Greek grammar, supposedly. And what that does, according to Peake, who's an authority, said it shows evidence of Paul's intense joy that the long silence has been broken. It's no longer a mystery. Paul is content with nothing short of a definite statement of the glorious facts that he's going to reveal in this mystery. And verse 27 reveals that to the saints, God would make known the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. To whom God would, verse 27 reads, to whom God would make known the, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is in you, Christ, which is Christ in you, rather, the hope of glory. So, God is pleased to reveal his eternal, his eternal plan, reading from D on your handout, page 3. God's pleased to reveal his eternal plan to his saints to reveal how great is the glorious truth made known in the gospel mystery. Norley has said, it is God's will that this mystery shall be fully explained to all the nations in its richness and glory. The sense of riches is spiritual. We tend in a, in a capital, capitalism country, capitalist country, to think about money, but it's the spiritual riches, vast spiritual riches, and gloriously divine significance. Among the Gentiles, that's us, is literally in the Gentiles and identifies where this wealth of glory and this mystery is focused. Paul is joyful and in awe of the wonder and the divine significance of the previously unexpected prospect of the salvation of the Gentile nations and the inclusion in one body, the body of Christ, the church. The Jews and Gentiles are now together in one body in the church. That's radical. That was very different. Gentiles were dogs and filthy and you couldn't even talk to one in the Old Testament. 
So MacArthur says that a mystery refers to a truth hidden until now, but revealed for the first time to the saints in the New Testament. Such truth, such truth includes mysteries, the mystery of the incarnate God, Colossians 2. Uh, 2, 3 through 9, uh, 3 chapter, chapter 2, verse 2, through chapter 3, verse 9. Actually, that's chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 and verse 9, excuse me. Secondly, Israel's unbelief, Romans eleven twenty five. Lawlessness, the second Thessalonians 2, 7. The unity of the Jew and Gentile made one in the church, that's Ephesians 3, verse 3 through 6. And the rapture of the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. There are other mysteries. In this passage, the mystery is specifically identified in chapter and verse 27 that we're on now. So that mystery is, which is, that mystery is, which is Christ in you. Um, verse 27b is a revelation mystery, and, and that's indwelling Christ and his people, which now includes Gentiles. And it appeared that they had been, it appeared to the, the people that, well, it certainly appeared to the Jews that they, the Gentiles had completely been excluded. But here it's now revealed that they have been included in his previously unknown plan from the beginning. And Vaughn says, this mystery then this is a good statement. This mystery then, long hidden, but now revealed, is not the diffusion of the, gen of the gospel among the Gentiles a little bit here and there, but the indwelling of Christ and his people, whether Jew or Gentile, Curtis Vaughn. Uh, Christ is the hope of glory. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Uh, last quote. Finish. MacArthur again did a sermon on this I'm drawing from. He said, What we're saying is, God wants you to come and live in you. God wants to come and live in you. That's what we're saying. We are rich because Christ is in us, and that's rich. That's rich beyond imagination. Because if you look in Colossians 2 3, it says, In whom that refers to. The Christ in verse 2 in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge listen to me and Christ is all wisdom and all knowledge and Christ lives where as Christian as a believer in me what a resource what a resource in Romans verse 23 of chapter 9 and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he's prepared unto glory. God by his mercy made us rich now and forever. We are rich. And I kind of wonder why do we act so poverty stricken? Romans eleven thirty three. He says it again. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. He's so rich in knowledge, so rich in wisdom, so rich in mercy, so rich in grace, so rich in love, so rich in everything. And he deposited all in us. Isn't that incredible reality when you stop to think about it I was talking to some of the guys isn't it amazing he says they say you use one tenth of one percent of your brain think about spiritually 
to have the living God within you, think about how some Christians live. They live like paupers with all that resource. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.19 that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. That all of that, that all of that available resource and power would be used. That's our message. That's the subject of the ministry. That the hope for man's honor now and the guarantee for man's honor or glory in the future is the indwelling Christ. He is power now. He is a guarantor of a future security with him. Ephesians 3.17 says Christ dwells in our heart, the living God. I mean, I can't even fathom that principle. The longer I think about it, the more unbelievable it becomes. One other thought. 2 Corinthians 6.16, you are the temple. You are the temple of the living God. Now listen, you're the temple of, of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Emphasis on the personal pronoun. I will dwell in them. I will walk with them. And so does Paul say. And so Paul to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Just staggering. That's the subject of the ministry. That's the hope of glory. And what do you mean by the phrase, the hope of glory, Paul? He says, I mean all the glory that could ever be yours when Christ is in you. The only hope a man ever has for glory now, future, anytime, under any condition, is when Christ dwells in him. God wants to live in you, and that's the message. Where do we find the answers to our problems? Christ lives in us. Yeah. You know, the Word of God. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have more, but our time has ended. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the service to follow and pray that you would be our speaker and pray that you would uh, bless us, Father, as we uh, hear your word shared to us. And pray that you would, uh, you would be with all those that are here and the families represented and also be with those that are watching from home or online and that you would bless them too. Pray that you would cause us to think about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and what that really means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.